0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Let's open up to 1 Kings chapter 3. And like Henry was mentioning, if you don't have one, uh, just raise your hand or, or see one of the ushers and they'll bring one to you. And I want to encourage you guys along these lines as well. Uh, I, I know, and I'm not trying to go against uh, you know technology or anything like that. But sometimes uh, you guys will follow along on your phone a, a, as your Bible, and uh, you know, I'm not saying that's a sin necessarily. But I, I would encourage you. Uh, iPads are a little bigger, so that might be different. But man, there's nothing like a Bible, you know, having a book. And so, if you don't have one, and you are a Christian, and maybe you've made Calvary Chapel Almonte your home. I tell you what, and maybe you can't even afford one. Let us know. Uh, we would love to get you a good old-fashioned Bible, because there's something about it, man. It really is uh, having that book in your hand, learning where they are. And uh, I just, you know, I just know that in uh, the, the age that we live in, I'm afraid that we might lose that that beautiful thing that we have. And so. Tonight we get to continue our study in the life of Solomon. We're still in the early stages of his reign. And you know, when you look at uh, different characters in the Bible, it's pretty neat because uh, there's a lot of lessons you learn as you just glean from their lives. I think I've told you a few times that in, in one sense, uh, most of the New Testament you learn from the words, and yet in the Old Testament you learn from their lives, and uh, and so it's cool looking at Solomon. And we're going to look at the way that he, he did some really good things in chapter 3. We're going to see how he uh, was able to ask for wisdom and, and God granted him that. And, and he kind of had a good beginning. But I, I think really the, the lesson when you look at the entirety of Solomon's life is a lesson that, you know, even though you might have a good beginning it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to finish well. As a matter of fact, you know, because we know the whole story and we, you know, read through the scriptures, uh, it even, like, strikes more fear into your heart because of the fact that you realize He really started in such a tremendous way. You would think that He could never stray. And so it's a lesson for us, you know, always there, kind of tucked away In the back of your mind, you know, I know that God has done a tremendous work in your life. And I just want to encourage you as we go through the scriptures to learn from these lives. And in this case, learn how to start well. Learn the things that we see that are good in his life. But also learn, you know, the fear of the Lord, you know, to maintain that walk. And never compromise, uh, as we're going to see even little glimpses of that in Solomon's life today. Because look what read here in 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And so we read in verse 1 that Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he married Pharaoh's daughter. You know, and, and, and this was the thing that kings did in those days. Uh, Solomon. How many of you know the Hebrew word for peace? Probably you know it, right? Shalom. Solomon. His name means peace. And you know, he wasn't like David who fought battles. Uh, David uh, fought the battles. Solomon did the buildings. Uh, David was a man of war. Solomon was more of a man of peace. And in those days, the way that you maintain the peace with the different countries is uh, one of the ways, is you would make a covenant with them and you would marry maybe one of the daughters. And so Solomon did this, we see in verse 1, with Egypt. But see, we can't do things just because the rest of the world does. We can't, you know, measure the standard even in the church and say, well, so and so does it, and you know, they are are a Christian. We don't do that. We have to ask the Lord, what does his word say? And God, what do you want from my life? And we know that since Solomon was in a theocracy, which means that it was a nation governed by God, he should have not made a treaty with Egypt, which is a picture of the world. In the scriptures, Egypt is symbolic of the world. And the Bible says in James 4, verse 4, James says adulterers and adulteresses, and that's a heavy you know, thought. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Solomon made a treaty with Egypt, a treaty with the world, and he went even deeper in that he married Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you know, I'm 99.99% sure that she wasn't a believer. And this was actually, and we see, we're going to see later that even though he loved the Lord, he was not a perfect man, and there were already trinkets of compromise in the early stages. You know, I I mean, there's no doubt that she wasn't a believer, and this was actually the beginning of signs of Solomon's future sins that would eventually bring him down. You know, why would Solomon do this? Again, I mentioned to you that marriage to fellow royalty was a common political strategy in the ancient world. And it was not only because royalty wanted to marry other royalty, but also because conflict between two nations were avoided for the sake of family ties. It was a common practice among the kings of that culture. And so, you know, we have to really, you know, take this, everybody's doing it, and ask the Lord, does that make it right? You know, it is something that we have to, you know, take to the scriptures. Uh, We know that this was a big uh, uh, problem in Solomon's life. Later on in Nehemiah chapter 13, when the people were marrying pagan wives, uh, Nehemiah was really upset with them. He, he hit them, he pulled out their hair, you know, he got, just got so upset with them. And he said, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel, nevertheless, he says, pagan women caused even him to sin. And so, you know, you're a believer. Um, Not all of you are married. Uh, Many of you are single. If you're single, make sure that you have a deep, strong conviction that you never let your boundaries down. In order that, you know, the enemy, sometimes he comes in and he brings somebody and for whatever reason you justify it. And the truth is, they're not really a believer. It doesn't matter that they go to church. Sometimes, you know, oh, they went to church. You know, that doesn't mean that they're a Christian. You want to make sure, absolutely sure that they love the Lord and that they are truly a believer because if not look what happens if you go over to 1 Kings chapter 11 just go over to your right look at verse 3 regarding Solomon and he had 700 wives whoa oh man princesses 300 concubines and notice his wives turned away his heart that happened to Solomon and that'll happen to you you know, and I, and I watch sometimes, and I wonder, Lord, how does it happen? Well, it's because they first don't have this conviction. They don't love the Lord. And so, you know, someone comes into your life, and, and I, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been there, obviously. I thank God that I have my wife. We've been married for, you know, since 1992. But, you know, you, you meet somebody, and before you, you know it, you're in love with them. It can happen to a right-on Christian. You know, and it's hard at that point to back out. So you, you, know, you can, of course, if, if you, you know, read the scriptures and you know what's right, but you have to make sure that now, as a Christian, you know that God has somebody for you. He has someone that He has custom-made just for you. And they're a believer. You're a believer. You guys love the Lord and God has great plans for your life. You don't want second best. You want the one that God made for you. The one who, when you come together, will enhance your relationship with God. Not the one that you're having struggles with and you think that when you're going to get married that you know then things are going to get better. No, they're probably not. The one that even now points you to Jesus Christ. Because if not, man, I'm telling you what, Satan goes fishing and on that bait, he puts, you know, whoever it is that that you're, you know, you're in your flesh, you're looking for. You're looking for the guy with the big biceps, right? Or whatever, you know, the gal and you've got that figure or, you know, you've got, you know, I hope, you know, they have a lot of money and, you know, a certain look or whatever it is. And I'm just telling you right now, guys, um, don't don't go there. You know, I, and I and I don't want to. And as a pastor, I want to share this with you. You know, I'm not Cupid, okay. I don't want to be Cupid either. You know, um, sometimes I think pastors scare single guys so much that they never, you know, you know, like, you know, oh, maybe I should ask her out, or you know, you never pray about relationships. You know, so you guys, um, you know you know, don't don't go to that extreme. You know, you start praying about those things. You're open to what the Lord wants to do. God wants to complete people. He wants to do that work uh, of bringing husband and wife together. But you just want to make sure that, that they love the Lord. See, Solomon, unfortunately, he already in the very beginning, even though he seemed to be doing good, there's some, you know, evidence here that he's already going to, you know, fail in this area. And eventually it was the thing that killed him. I've told you guys many times about how they would kill um, the wolves in Alaska. Is What they would do is they would take a, a sharp knife, sharp knife, and they would dip it in blood and then freeze it. And dip it in blood and freeze it, dip it in blood and freeze it until it was a it was a sharp knife, but it was like a a blood popsicle, right? And then they would take it and they would fasten it into the ground. From what I understand, they still do this. And so when the you know the the wolves come, they smell the blood and they start licking the blood. Oh, they're like, wow, hey, free popsicle, right? And so can you visualize the wolf licking the blood, licking the blood, licking the blood, right? And before you know it, he's like, man, this is really good. Okay, but what happens when you, when you put things for an extended period of time on your body parts? It gets numb, right? And so that's what happens to the wolf. The tongue begins to get numb. And before you know it, all the blood that's on the knife is gone. And then it's cutting into its own tongue, but it doesn't know because its tongue is numb. And what happens? The wolf dies. And that's what happens when we don't take care of those areas in our life that we know and God has been you know, dealing with us and we know they're not right. Eventually, you know, unless we give it to the Lord, if we keep playing games like Samson, it'll kill us. And so we got to get these areas right. Solomon here, you know, he he marries uh, Pharaoh's daughter. He keeps her in Jerusalem until he's, you know, finished building his own house. We see that here as well as the temple. According to First Kings six thirty-eight, Solomon took seven years to build the temple, and then we read in First Kings seven verse one that Solomon took thirteen years to build his own house. And so, I mean, there's a possibility they were built concurrently, but we're not sure. We read here in verse two, notice again it says that the people sacrificed at the high places, because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And so the people were sacrificing in the high places. The high places were actually, you know, originally pagan altars scattered throughout the land. Whereupon the Israelites were often guilty of idolatry. And so there's a nice place over there. It's built over there, built over there, scattered throughout the land. And sometimes they would take those high places. And yes, they would offer their offerings to the Lord. But this wasn't God's perfect will. You know, if you can, uh, later on tonight, you read Deuteronomy chapter 12. And you see how God didn't want them to sacrifice in the high places. God wanted them to come to the place that He had designated. We read in Deuteronomy twelve, thirteen, and 14, He says, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every high place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses. In one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. And I, and I know this is a little different, but let me also say this that God has ordained God has instituted the church and sometimes you guys ever run across people who say no well I don't really you know go to church service I don't need to go you know I watch it on television have you guys ever run into someone like that you know it's kind of like that they say I can just do it on my own I don't really need to be part of a body And yet the Lord has ordained the church. Jesus has instituted the church. Jesus gave, you know, evangelists and pastors and teachers and leaders. And Jesus made different members of the body. You can't just go and, you know, so to speak, you know, offer up on whatever high place you establish. You know, we're part of a church. And some people say, well, I don't like to go to church because this, you know, there's this lot of weird people there. And I know, I know we're weird, you know, and there's no perfect church. Right? There isn't. But we need to be part of a body. We need to go where God calls us. You know, here we see that the people were offering their sacrifices in the different high places. And so things weren't perfect, but We do see in verse 3 that Solomon, he loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except for that, that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. You know, this is an interesting passage. With one breath, the author speaks of Solomon's love for the Lord, walking like David. And with the other breath, the author speaks of Solomon's compromise. And so, you know, for us, and I know a lot of you guys here, I know you love the Lord. I know you do. Let that love carry you to that place. And, and it's got to be the Holy Spirit doing the work because none of us can do it on our own strength. And we'll never be perfect. But let there be no strongholds of the enemy in your life where you compromise. See? We've got to let that love for the Lord just take us full bore. And we're going to see that as we go through here today. And so, we read in verse 4, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now that's a lot, huh? A thousand burnt offerings. The burnt offerings was symbolic of complete consecration. And so, I think there was that desire there was a desire Lord I want to give myself to you and a thousand is a lot right and so we read there in verse 5 at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said ask what shall I give you what would you you ask for but the Lord said tell you what you know I'll give you anything what would you ask for Solomon said there in verse 6, You have shown great mercy to your servant David and my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And the truth is, Solomon was young. Some say maybe even as young as 16, 17, 20 years old, maybe early 20s. Now, when we're in in at that, that age, I know we think we know everything usually, right? <laughs> but now that I'm, I'm 40, I don't even know, I'm 40 something, I forget. <laughs> i'm I'm learning that man, i'm I've just got so much more to learn. You just really, you know, you go through life and here's Solomon, and he's being honest, Lord, I don't I can't, I don't have the wisdom, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and that's something that we all acknowledge. I don't think we'll ever come to that place where we do, but I'm not able, I'm not able, Lord. I'm not worthy, Lord. And so he says in verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, here's the request, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And you know, as we go through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, one of the things that we're going to learn is how to be a leader. Sometimes how not to be a leader. And that will teach us how to be a leader. But there are many leaders here tonight. I know it. You're you're a dad. You're a mom. You're going to be put somewhere. You are somewhere in ministry you're a leader you know you're influencing people and we all are impacting people either for good or bad whether you want to or not we're all in one sense leaders and I think this request right here is probably the the best thing that we can ask for you know I remember when we first started the church and people would ask me and I still remember the just the very very beginning stages And, you know, people would ask me, well, how can we pray for you? I would always come back to this. I would would ask them, pray for me, that God would give me wisdom. That God would give me, like Solomon says right here, an understanding heart. You know, we read in verse 4 that Solomon, the king, he went to Gibeon. That's about five miles north of Jerusalem. And the tabernacle was at Gibeon. But the Ark of the Covenant was at Jerusalem. And so it's kind of an interesting combination. We read in Second Chronicles 1 verse 3 that the tabernacle was in Gibeon. But we read in First Kings chapter 3 verse 15 that the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. We'll see that even later. And so that's weird. For those of you who know your Bible a little bit, You're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't the Ark of the Covenant supposed to be in the tabernacle? There in the most holy place? Yeah. And David brought the Ark to Jerusalem. Why didn't he bring the tabernacle to Jerusalem? And a lot of people say the reason is is because he didn't want them to be content with that, that he wanted them to build God a temple. So again, we don't know for sure, but here was the dynamic Uh, King uh, Solomon goes to Gibeon and he takes the tabernacle and the ark, the covenant we're going to see later, uh, and that becomes a factor. He offers a thousand sacrifices. And, you know, I'm not saying that if you, you know, let's just say tonight, what if I was to tell you, hey, you guys give a thousand dollars and, you know, God will give you a dream. That would be weird, huh? (laughs) But I am saying that when there is a hunger in your life, when you really want God to speak to you and to move, you will be doing something different. You will be praying different. There will be something different, something sacrificial in your life. You know, not just going through the same motions, but I just really believe that, you know, it's been said, the measure of the ministry is sacrifice, that there's not a lot of sacrifice in the church. Solomon gave a thousand sacrifices god saw his earnestness and he appeared to him in a dream by night and he said ask what what shall i give you you know what do you want solomon and so solomon you know first of all acknowledges the lord's mercy to his father david as well as you know david's part that that's included there right David's heart and how for that reason God showed him mercy there's always the sovereignty of God combined with the responsibility of man and you can never lean too far in either direction right and so Solomon acknowledges God's hand in allowing him to be king now after his father but he assesses the situation with the reality that he himself is just a kid a kid king probably still a teenager And he reminds him that these are your people. Now i tell you what, that's a great lesson to learn in the early stages. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're an overseer, whether you're a parent, uh, whether you're a friend, whoever it is that you're dealing with, these are God's children. These are God's people. This is God's flock, the most precious commodity on planet Earth. That one over there that you dissed today, they are loved by God, created in His image. It's important for us to know know, who we are, who God is, who people are, right? Solomon, he understood that, and so he asks for an understanding heart there in verse 9. Second Chronicles 1.10 also records this. And these are his words. He says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this great people of yours? He says, you know, Who can lead? Who can make those decisions? Who can judge God's people? You know, is it the guy that, you know, I don't know, that graduated from seminary? Is that the one? Or... You know, is it the guy that, you know, and he has an, an education or, you know, it's funny the things that we look for in a, in a spiritual leader sometimes. The one who has all the Bible knowledge, yeah, that's helpful. But, but do they have the wisdom that's necessary? We know really that the only one that can lead is God. Only God can lead this church. No man, you guys would never, we would never want to follow a man, to be led by a man. We want the Lord to lead, right? Only God can. And that's why the primary qualification for a leader is a good follower. A good follower of Jesus Christ. A good listener to the Lord. Lord, what do you want to do in Calvary Chapel Almani? Lord, what do you want to do in this ministry? Lord, what do you want to do in my life? And some things are, are black and white. You read the Bible, and you're like, okay, well, definitely we got to teach the word, and definitely we can't live in sin. We want to walk in holiness. But you know, what about the divine details? What about those areas of our life that are not, you know, addressed specifically in Scripture? You know, do you want us to do that outreach over there? Or do you want us to get that office over there? Or how about, you know, whatever, a purchase in this area? And it has to be the Lord. And it has to be us literally listening to the Lord. You know, it's interesting. Verse 9, he says, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart. Literally in the Hebrew, what Solomon asked for was a hearing heart. The Hebrew word is Shema. You guys probably know that word as well, huh? Shema. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Shema. You know, He wants us to hear. It's translated to hear or hearken 981 times and to understand only nine times. In other words, especially in the stem, it's called the qual stem in the Hebrew. I mean, this means, God, give me a hearing heart that's what we have to have so the overwhelming idea of solomon's request is wisdom as a result of him hearing in his heart the voice and word of god notice what he says right there in verse 9 therefore give to your servant and he says servant three times your servant an understanding heart a hearing heart to judge your people, here it is, that I may discern between good and evil. I mean, you know, is this thing good? Is this thing evil? Is that good or bad? Is she good or bad? Is he good or bad? Who knows? God knows. That's why we have to hear as leaders, right? God alone knows the hearts of men, all about this and that. God alone knows him or her. And that's why we have to be a good follower of Christ if we want to be a good leader for Christ. The leader must be a good heater, a good listener. And it can't just be the outer man, the physical man who's listening with his brain, right? It must be the inner man, that spiritual man, truly listening with his heart. And therefore, our heart must be surrendered to God, the real you. You know, sometimes what happens, and I, and I pray it's not you, but I want to encourage you, if it is, that you would change. Some people, they're just really good actors, and we can come to a church service and we can kind of, you know, feel good about maybe fooling everybody. And we do it every single time. But that's not really who you are. God is saying, I want it to be really who you are. It's got to be the heart that's right in God's heart. You've got you to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issue of life, a hearing heart. That's what we need. Solomon here wants to be equipped to be a good and godly leader and it's so cool the way he asks for wisdom and the Lord is blessed. The Lord's impressed. Look at verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing and then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself nor have asked riches for yourself nor have asked the Life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, and this is conditional if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast. For all his servants. So he gets up and he goes back to Jerusalem, notice. And he's just so blessed, right? It's interesting to note that God was pleased with what Solomon asked for, and he was also pleased with what he didn't ask for. You know, and I, when I read that, I thought that was kind of cool, because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just kind of throw up a whole bunch of things out there, right, to the Lord. And, Lord, you know what, just give me, you know, I'm shooting for the sky, right? You're asking for everything. And, you know, and you're, but you're like, but whatever your will is, Lord. And so we think we're okay doing it that way. And in Solomon's case, it was like, you know, he didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for God to defeat his enemies, there are certain things that he, he didn't ask for. And he, and, he, and he must have just been, and I've learned this, the only way you can do that is you've got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Because I've learned that when you pray, that part of what happens when you're praying is you learn what to pray. It's interesting the way it works. You learn what not to pray. Solomon here, you know, he goes to sleep, and and he has a dream, and God appears to him in a dream. You know, when was the last time God you know, spoke to you in a dream? You know, and sometimes we we're like, well, I mean, I don't know if that was God or not. You know, did I have I mean, too many tacos? I'm not really sure. You know, or you know, and some people think that that God can't speak to you in a dream, but we know it's biblical according to the Book of Acts, chapter two. God said, "I'll speak to them in dreams." And so you're open to that. I'll tell you what, when I, when I go to bed at night, you know, I even pray this prayer, Lord, I thank you for your word and your word is sufficient. Your word is enough. But if you would like to speak to me, uh, to a dream, God, you know, please do so. And I've had a lot of dreams that I knew were not of the Lord. I've had some dreams where I wasn't sure but I have had many dreams where I knew it was God. And I don't know about you, but when I have a dream, I, uh, if I don't write it down right away, I forget. I don't know why, what part of the brain it goes into. I don't know what's it's different. And I've written down my dreams. And I'm serious. Some of the dreams that God, I've had, they have been life-changing for me. And this was one of them for Solomon. And of course, you have to test everything. If God tells you, you know, or you think God tells you to do something in your dream that goes against the scriptures, you know, of course, that's not God. But the Lord has communicated to me many things through ministry, about ministry or family, different situations where I knew was it was the Lord. This was one of those dreams for Solomon. And, you know, he, the Lord is just so blessed with what he prayed. You know, God was blessed with the unselfishness of Solomon's request that, you know, he was so blessed, he not only granted him unprecedented wisdom, but he also promised to bless him with uh, riches and honor beyond the kings of his time and beyond. And if, God says, if he walked as his father David had, God promised to bless him with length of days. You know, and it reminds me of that promise we have as Christians over in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. You guys probably know that passage. It says, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, according to the power that works in us. You know, when we ask these things, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we would have ever asked, right? Right? And then verse 21 says, To him be glory, glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, and so he praises God. The same thing that Solomon does here he praises God when he awakes from his dream. He knew it was the Lord. And so he goes back to Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant is, where I think he belonged to begin with. And he just offers up. Burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. And then he just celebrates with all his servants. You know, burnt offerings, like I mentioned earlier, means that you're completely consecrated to God. They would take that offering and it would just all be consumed. And So it was just like, Lord, I'm all yours. Sometimes when we come to God, we only give him like a portion. I'll give you you know, Sundays and Thursdays, you know, or or I'll give you most of my life, but not this and that. That belongs to me. No, burnt offering is like, I'm all yours, Lord. And then the peace offering, uh, that you could eat some of that, and that was fellowship with God. And that's exactly what Solomon needed. He needed to completely consecrate himself and and to offer that peace offering, meaning that now he was really going to get into that fellowship with God. And I encourage you to do those two things. And here we see this leadership stuff, this wisdom stuff. It's not theoretical. And what I mean by that is it's not something you read in a book and then you go and you live in your ivory tower that has no merit on the people, No, and you guys got to know this, and I pray that we would know this, and it always strikes fear into my heart to know this, that Manny, the way you're living your life, the way you're praying, the way that you are modeling yourself with your family, and, and just wherever it is, it is impacting people's lives for good or bad. You know, it's not just a lesson that we learn in in a book, and we do the homework, and we get the grade or whatever. God knows. No. That person, that person, many people are being impacted. And and that's kind of what we read next, and it's heavy stuff, even to the point of life and death. Look what we read here in verse 16. It says, Now two women who were harlots, they came to the king, and they stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I give birth while she was in and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together, no one was with us in the house, except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. I remember about a, about a year ago, uh, there was a prayer request. It was a heavy prayer request because one of the, 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 the dads had done just this. He he laid on his child and she died. So this happens, right? And so in verse 20, She arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in, in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, There he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son whom I had borne. And then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Now, I'm not sure, uh, you read different commentaries and some will say, well, Solomon was pretty generous in the fact that he just allowed anyone you know, to come before him. Here you have uh, two you know, women who are prostitutes having an audience with the king. And there's a possibility that that's just how it happened. But more than likely, it went through you know, the city gates. And it kind of like they didn't know what to do. And it went to the next level. They didn't know what to do. And then finally, it's like, Solomon, we don't know what to do. It's he said, you know, she said, or she said, she said, you know. It's one word against the other. There are no witnesses. We can't call the dads in to testify because they don't even know who the dad is. And so, you know, what what are you going to do, Solomon? It's a classic case. Whose child is it? And so we read here in verse 23 the king said the one says this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one and the other says no but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one then the king said bring me a sword so they brought a sword before the king and the king said divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for his son and said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, I'll let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. And So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. They They respected him, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer, how beautiful this word is, justice. See? And it's a great, great start to Solomon's kingdom. You know, and you think about it at a young age. Some of you here are young. But I tell you what, when you know the Lord and you know the word of the Lord, he gives you wisdom beyond your elders. Here's Solomon. He knew that the immediate and compassionate cry of the true mother would be revealed if he says, okay, let's slice the kid in half, right? <laughs> I mean, the true mother would rather have the child live without her than to die with her, right? Solomon knew that. And so we see a great, great approach. You know, Solomon proposed to use a physical sword, and and And, in the process I think that we learn from this. I'll tell you what I like what John Corson said. He said whenever you're 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 facing a a difficult situation or maybe a moment of counseling, I say the same thing that Solomon saw said, "Bring me a sword. What's a sword symbolic of the Bible right? First thing, bring me a sword. let's see what God's Word says, because that Word will cut, right? The cut. It will get to the bottom line. What we find right here, Hebrews 4.12, The Word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And here it is, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, His wisdom and words from God cut to the heart of the matter and enabled Him to rule in righteousness. Wouldn't it be cool if uh, President Obama (laughs) administered justice one day? If God got a hold of him and saved him and humbled him? Are you praying for his salvation? Are you praying for the salvation of our governor, of our mayor, of our political leaders like the Bible says because then they can do such things and people will experience that justice. As a result of this, we see that they feared him, they respected him. Respect, it's an interesting word, huh? How many of you guys here demand respect? You better respect me. How many of you guys are like that? Come on, I'm just joking. You know, you can't do that, huh? You can't. I mean, you know, we, I always honor the position, pastor, leader, but as far as, you know, really, really, rendering that type of respect, I really believe it's, it's maybe a little learned, but it's primarily earned as we follow the Lord. And that's where Solomon was. What we find right here, and we'll close with this, I just want to give you guys a few things of application. You know, this is not only something that we see written about Solomon, but I think it's something that we can learn from And how we need to be able to discern between good and evil in this world that we live in. And one thing I want to encourage you guys in, number one, is to pray. Pray. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Right? And so you pray. And Matthew 7.7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. John 15, verse 7 says, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. 1 John 5, 14 says, There's a confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So ask. I really encourage you, ask God for wisdom. Number two, listen. Listen. You know, it's real interesting when you study the life of Nehemiah. You go through the book of Nehemiah, who was a wonderful leader, And you want to know what you'll hear him say? God put it in my heart. God laid this on my heart to do this. And the only way that that could ever happen is if he was listening to the Lord. And God will put things on your heart when you're really listening. You know, what do we read in the book of Revelation seven times? It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church so how many of you here have an ear just out of curiosity right you all have ears right so we need to hear in other words really listen to what the lord is saying right what we need to do is number one pray number two listen number three study god's word study god's word hebrews five fourteen says well hebrews 5 is real interesting It says by now you shouldn't have been teachers but I need to teach you, reteach you the basics. Hebrews 5:14 says, "But solid food belongs to those who are of full age in other words, are mature, that is those who by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil." Solomon wanted to be able to discern between good and evil. What we find in Hebrews chapter five is one of the ways that you will be able to discern what's good or evil is by studying the word of God. And then applying it to different situations in your life. The next thing I want to encourage you guys in to learn from this study is beware of compromise. Beware of compromise. Solomon loved the Lord. But let me ask you a question. Did he love the Lord with all his heart? And the answer there is no. And yet that's the commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so don't compromise in your life as Christians. Don't make friends with the world. Don't whatever you do guard yourself against being unequally yoked with friends or boyfriends or girlfriends. You know one last thing I want to share with you guys and I think that you know this is really interesting. And I don't know, you guys are are, are you guys are, are real good Bible students. So you're not going to you're not like really, you know, I don't think you're going to go beyond the pages of scripture you know, too much, but sometimes you got to like maybe be open to maybe a little different because the Bible is amazing. Um, what we find is really interesting in Solomon's offer to cut the child in two, there are some people who see how God would indeed cut the kingdom in two because of Solomon's sin, eventually dividing the kingdom into the northern and southern kingdom, right? And it's interesting because when you read through the prophets, you find that oftentimes the northern and southern kingdom were compared to harlots. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I tell you what, this brings us to our last point. I want to encourage you to finish well. Start well, but I think we also have to finish well. You know, Solomon should have known this. I mean, he's the one who wrote Ecclesiastes 7, 8. Listen to what it says, Ecclesiastes 7, 8. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. In other words, the end of the thing is almost more important than the beginning. It's the way you finish, right? And he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Again, emphasizing the end. American poet Henry Longfellow said this, Great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. You know, I take this to heart. I really do. I pray I pray you guys would as well. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just allowing us to study it together. Because I know, Lord, you are so good. What a beautiful promise, Lord, that if we need wisdom and we ask, you said, and, I, and we got to believe it, that you would provide that wisdom. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte, at air code six two six four five four. 3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.